part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. How many of you believe, and you don't have to raise your hand on this, because then, you know, I ask a lot of questions. I'm going, how many of y'all believe this? And I know sometimes you're going, okay, are we supposed to raise our hands or not? And, and there's always some people in, in the group that they take everything very literally, and so if you ask a question, they're going to raise their hand. There's also other people that they don't know, and so they're wondering, I don't know, should I put my hand up? Then there's this third group that I don't care if that's totally me, I'm not going to raise my hand. And so we're not going to define you this morning of which of those three you are. But in your heart, answer this question. Do you believe that Creator God, God Almighty, Holy God that we just sang about this morning, has a personal call upon your life? Just answer that in your heart. Do you believe that He is such a personal God that He not only knows you, not just knows about you, but He knows you, and He not only knows your past, but he also knows and has a plan for your future. In other words, do I believe that God purposed for me to be married? And not only that he purposed for me to be married, but that he actually you know, provided for me this one that is my wife, that he knew that we would have two children, and not just in a foreknowledge way, but that he kind of purposed that, and that we were going to be grandparents. Well, you know, do we really believe that God has called us to a life, and that that life can be somewhat specific? I think most Christians, because he is a person I say would yes. Question number two. And if you're married here today, and so you've been called as a husband or you've been called as a wife, does it sometimes get hard or do you feel overwhelmed to fulfill this high calling of God to be a parent, a husband, a wife, a worker, a witness? Do you ever get intimidated that somehow you're just not quite cut up to this high standard, this high calling that God has placed on your life? If you've ever felt intimidated by that, then listen closely this morning. Because I think we've all been there before. I think we've all been in a place where we realize that we serve a very personal God and that God does have plans for our lives. We can always kind of discuss about how specific and, you know, again, we were even talking this morning. Does God really have a plan between Special K and Captain Crunch when I sit down? Well, of course he does. Captain Crunch all the way, you know. Now, does God get into the, the intricacies of our life like that? You know, we could debate that. It's not really the issue. The issue is, does God have a calling upon our life? And that one, we can back up a scripture from Genesis to Revelation that God, for believers, has a calling upon our life. And yet, in trying to work out this calling, trying to live it out in a, a daily fashion to be a godly husband, I want to be a godly husband. And I feel like I fail at that so many times. Maybe you've had that same kind of intimidation as a husband, a wife, a parent, a son or a daughter, a student trying to live out their lives for Christ. Well, if that's the case, then listen really closely because there's, there's something that God wants us to, to really understand about his word that sometimes I think we overlook. In one way, this is going to be a sermon that you have heard a thousand times before. Read your Bible, okay? I'm telling you right up front. You're going to hear this sermon today. We should be daily in God's Word. But I want to connect two thoughts that God connects in His Word this morning. It's not my opinion. It's what God has said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. You might say, well, that kind of sounds familiar. It's because 
You've heard it before. And we actually looked at this just very briefly just a couple of weeks ago when we looked at can we trust the Bible? Is it one of those things that we can really put our full faith in what the scripture says? We, I hope you came away as we were looking at other uh, supposed sacred works, the Quran. Uh, the Book of Mormon, other ones that would be out there. And we really see kind of how the Bible stands above them and a lot of just side-by-side tests of, you know, its authenticity and, and its provability and all these different things that we examined a couple weeks ago. But here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to come back to these two verses. So open your Bibles, and I hope that you really do. Even though we showed up here, I hope you have your Bibles with you today so that you can kind of see the Word uh, right there in your lap, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 17, or your phone, whatever. I'm not offended whatsoever if you have your iPad or if you have your phone and that's how you do the Bible. That's, that's great. But as you open up to that place in your word, I want you to have in mind this morning what you've heard if you've grown up in the church all your life. Well, you know, you need to have a quiet time. You know, it's really important to be in God's Word every day. Again, you don't have to raise your hand. But have you heard that since you were like this tall, if you grew up in the church? And if you didn't grow up in the church, since you've been in the church, have you at least heard pastors say that? Do you ever get intimidated that you're not daily in the Word? You're like, man, I've just let the pastor down, let my my family down, but most of all, I've left my God down. This morning, I want to give you four good reasons why we should have a thirst, why we should have, you know, make this a discipline of our life so that we're in God's word on a regular basis. And not one of those things that if you miss a day, all of a sudden, you know, that your life is over because you didn't read God's word this morning, okay? But that there's this, this in our mind, it's not just a task to be accomplished, but we would actually understand what happens in our mind and in our heart when we go into God's Word. There's something that God says actually happened. There's going to be four things this morning. If you brought your um, uh, handout this morning, you can see on the back there's places for notes. If not, grab a piece of paper. Because I, I want these four things to be just kind of permanently etched into your mind this morning. That if somebody asks you, you know, what are the four intentions of God's word? What is the four purposes of God's word? That you would be able to just go boom, 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 boom. And that you would be able to see that because that's going to be a key to just kind of keeping sharp. I asked somebody this morning, I actually brought one of my knives this morning, Bruce. Because just in the case that for some reason you weren't carrying on, on Sunday morning, but I should have known. I said, Bruce, I need somebody to kind of use. Anybody know what this is? Whetstone, okay. Do you know how to use it? Okay. Mr. Bruce is going to demonstrate to us how to use that. And I said, oh, I have my knife. And he goes into his pocket and he has two knives right there. So, so I felt like, okay. I even got a bigger one. So yeah, exactly. What is the purpose of a whetstone? Sharpen your knife. Sharpen your knife. But the, the knife's already pretty sharp. You could probably cut some things with that already. Why do you need to, to sharpen it when it's already somewhat sharp? Because it loses its edge. Because of just regular use? Constant use yeah, or, abuse. or abuse. Or abuse. Okay. And so, so what would you do? And what, what happens is your knife, if it has a good edge, you can't feel anything. And microscopically, you can see it, the edge will start curling over. 
So you can feel that with your thumb. Run across your period of thumb. So you want to take that off. When you take that off, you get back to the sharpness of your knife. So you'll, you'll run your knife over it away from you, back and forth, similarly like that, to remove that, what I call a wire edge. That's what my dad taught me it was. It's a wire edge. Fantastic. And so if you, if you want to get it even finer, you start out, if, if your edge is, is uh, damaged, you use a coarser side of the stone to bring that wire edge to you, and then you take it off again if you have chips or nicks or cuts in it. So that's what you do. Now, if you really want to hone it in even better, you go beyond this. You've probably seen your old grandfather. Somebody might remember an old grandfather. Had a straight razor. Yep. Had a leather strop, didn't he? And you take that leather strop, you whop, 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 whop across it. And you take that really, really, really fine edge off, and then you can shave with it. Amen. I mean, I, I, mean, I like that. I like that. You can put your knife up. Uh, <laughs> Remember that this morning because, you know, sometimes we're going, you know, I already know the scripture. I already know a lot about the Bible. And, and it's because in daily use, we, get, we kind of get a rough edge. Would you agree with that? You know, again, you don't have to raise your hand, but do you agree that in daily life, in a fallen, broken world, that sometimes there are things that kind of, you know, put a dull to our blade? And it can happen out in the world. It can happen in school. It can happen in your business. It can happen right there in your own house. You know, it just can happen in all these different places. And, and so one of the things that God wants us to do by reading and being in his word on a regular basis is that we get the edge back. Let me give you four things this morning that I believe that God wants us to, to sow. If there's ever a verse that you want to, uh, two verses that you want to memorize, I believe that these would be at the top of the list. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture, that is what we call the Bible, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What we see there is that Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul was the discipler in, in this situation. Timothy was a young pastor that was kind of being discipled. And this is his first or second letter? Second. Very good. Second Timothy. Yeah. And you're awake. You had two cookies this morning, didn't you? All that sugar is just yeah, working really good there. Okay. This is at least his second one. It's at least the second one that we consider to be scripture. So he wrote the first one, and he gives Timothy all these warnings about false teachers in the first one. In the second one, he gets really, really personal because now we really believe that in the timeline of Paul's life that he's about to be beheaded by Nero, that he's really getting close to the end of his life. And so he writes with a little bit more of a personal touch and, and really kind of very much, hey, Timothy, these might be my parting words to you. And in this parting statement, as he writes to his understudy, he, he begins to say, okay, I want you to be equipped for God's call upon your life. Now, Timothy was a pastor. And, and so in one way, you could say, well, that's just for pastors or for elders, because elders also is mentioned, you know, we have a connection there. No, this is for all believers. If you have made Christ, if you have chosen and put your trust in the finished work of Christ, you're a Christian, not because you attend church, but you have purposely said Christ is the only way that I can be right with the Holy God, and you've put your faith in him, and you're a Christian, this is applicable to you. 
This is something that God is calling us to there in verse 17. And so he tells us first the whys. And he actually does that in verse 17. Then in verse 17, he tells us the why that we would want to do these four things that we're going to mention this morning. Look closely at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Does that last phrase interest you? If God called you to be a mama... Do you want to be the godly mama that God called you to be? If he called you to be a dad, if he called you to be a husband, if he called you to be a worker at ABC Electronics, if he, asked, if he called you to do this or that, if he called you to pastor, if he called you to... Do you want to be the capable, equipped, competent person that God called you to be in that role? I think the obvious answer to that is yes. Well, that's the Why? And then what we do is we go back to verse 16 and we actually see the what or the how. That by looking, here he says, okay, here's the why of you would want to be in God's word on a regular basis. But here, here's the how you do it. And so we're going to spend a lot of time this morning in the how part. And we're going to begin able to, to come down and really kind of look at what God says to us and how he works this in our lives. See, one of the questions about that I get often about the Bible is just, you know, how much should we read on a regular basis? How much should it be a part of our regular room? How does God use the Bible to instruct us in daily life? And I've always given this illustration. One more kind of prop this morning, then we'll go on with the sermon, okay? If you're going to pray, and some of you that are in discipleship with me, you know that because you hear it on a regular basis. If we're going to paint this room, which one of these would you want to paint with? The roller, right? And, and for the most, there's always going to be the one brush person. I realize that. Okay. Okay. How much of the room, just give me a percentage, could I paint with the roller if I was going to paint this room here? 90, 80, 95% if you're really careful. Would you be able to percent one, would you be able to paint 100% of the room with this roller? Not and do a good job. You really wouldn't. So you, I, let's just say 90 to 95% you could paint with the roller, right? We could get the majority. But we would need a finishing brush. We would need this little brush to come back and do what we call cutting in and all the trim. Put this in your mind. The Word of God. How does God instruct us on a regular basis? The Word of God, I really believe, is 90 or 95% of how He's going to give us instruction. The Holy Spirit comes and, and really gives us uh, the fine-tuning of that. It's kind of the, like this cut-in brush. But here's the thing, and I forgot to bring, I meant to bring a, a gallon of paint in here. Uh, this brush is going to paint out of the same bucket as this roller, okay? I've told people, said, well, you know, they've come in and they've posed some question. And I'm going, well, you know, I don't even have to pray about that one. I don't have to even discern. Well, why not? I need the answer to this. I said, because God's word says this, so we don't even have to pray further. If God says this, he's not, if he rolls in this one color, God's not going to get out there and start cutting in with another color. In other words, when you can find God's answer in his word, folks, he's not going to change this. The Holy Spirit, I promise you, is not going to go against God's word. Is, is that clear? Okay? 
That doesn't mean that God, the Holy Spirit of God, in that personal walk with you, that God's not going to... For example, the Word of God told me as a Christian man that I was to marry a Christian woman. Okay? Nowhere, I mean, maybe it should be in there, but nowhere did I find Carly Hendricks' name in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit said, this is the one. But she was a believer. She wanted the things of God in her life. He, he didn't tell me one direction for, by his word. And then the Holy Spirit says, okay, but go over here and marry this person who's not a Christian. God's not going to violate his word personally to you and put it at exception of what he has in his written word. Is that clear? Because we really run into that a lot at times where we say, well, you know, I, I think I'm the one exception. And I'm going, no, you're not. <laughs> you're really not. You're special, but you're not that special. What God paints in his word with the brush, 90, 95% of the things that we need to know for the direction of our life, he's not going to come and get another color and put here. He's just going to fill it in. It's going to be more specific. It's going to be finer. It's going to be those edges in our life. But understanding that, understanding that we want to be these people that are equipped and competent to, to live out God's call upon our lives, look now back at verse 16. What we see there is this very intimate nature of God. We see this very intentional nature of God in verse 16. All scriptures breathed out by God. We see very much there that is intimate, but it is intentional because it mentions four things. Say these four things with me. Number one, God has purposed in his life for us to, uh, the intention of his word is teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Now, I, I know that seems a little kindergartenish that, that you would say that with me, but here's, I, I told the elders this morning, I said, I have one intention this morning, that when we walk out of here, that you really do have this kind of plastered in your mind. That somebody can ask you, you know, what are the four intentions of God's word in the life of a believer? You go, well, I just happen to know that. You know, what he wants is he wants to teach me. And we're going to explain each one of these. Teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Let's start with that first one. Teaching. The word that is used there in the Greek is the same word where we use, get the word doctrine. Over the last couple of weeks in this foundation series, we've been talking a lot about doctrine. What is doctrine? It's the foundational beliefs. We as a church at CS, at Cornerstone, if you go to our webpage, what you're going to find there in our beliefs, under our beliefs, are what I would call very congruent of what has been the traditional beliefs, doctrine of historic Christianity now for 2,000 years. We don't have anything on that page that's really kind of wild and out there. I would believe that everything that you see on our webpage and that we believe as doctrine, as the foundational beliefs of our church, go in line with what has been held as doctrinal truth for the last 2,000 years. That word doctrine is found in several different places. One of those places is 1 Timothy 1.10. Another place is Titus 1.9. Look at Titus 1.9. says he must hold firm 
to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in what? Sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, he said, okay, one of the purposes of this word is that you would have sound doctrine in your life that is a really solid foundation to know what is true, but also to be able to say, oh, that's not true. And it's one of those things, that, you know, the, the typical kind of fable or maybe truth out there about car salesmen. Hey, do I have a deal for you? This lady just traded this son. She was a grandma. All she did was go back and forth to church. And is, I can give you a great price on this car. When somebody would come to you with that line, could it be true? Do you think the possibility that it really you're that lucky one that she just traded it in and all she did is go back and forth to church so it's kind of a holy car and that, you know, it's just one of those things that, okay, this is going to... You know, you don't know if that's a line or not. Well, guys, in life, even in spiritual things, there's a lot of times where we're going, okay, is this truth or not? This is, what, this is what my neighbor says. This is what my friend says. What is truth? And, and so in Titus 1.9, when it uses this word doctrine, this teaching, this word that's teaching there, it says, okay, that you're going to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, you're going to be able to know what's true, but also what's not true. Now let's look back, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. This is closing out the letter that Paul is writing, the same one. We were in chapter 3, now look in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And, we will tu- and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, Paul wrote this under the inspiration of, of, of God 2,000 years ago. He really firmly believed that he was kind of living in that generation. He said, man, when I die, I, mean, I, I need to entrust to you this good doctrine, sound doctrine, because one of the things I'm fearful of is all these other myths, all these other stories, all these other beliefs that are out there. And I just wonder... Yeah, are we going to be able to have truth that will carry on? Because God had told him that in the end days, as the end days would come, that that other truth, that people would be more and more open to it. Now, question. We live now 2,000 years after Paul wrote this. Do you think that what Paul wrote is true? Now, again, I don't know if we're in the end days or not. But what I do see is that there is an increase, even in our lifetime, even in our lifetime, of other fables and myths and other things. And a lot of it is because it is what tickling ears want to hear. I promise you this. Not only is there a church out there somewhere that will preach exactly what you want to hear, but there's actually versions of the Bible now that people have kind of said, okay, this is a translation with this vein. In other words, we, we kind of, you know, we know that there's a, a need for this kind of belief out there so you can feel better about yourself. So we've kind of taken those verses and we've kind of, there's all kinds of different versions out there that are not really, truly trying to be true to God's word. They just want to be truly tickling of the ears of people. We live in this day. Now he said that he will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off. That word wander isn't as... Um, it's a passionate word. It really means in the Greek to deflect. In other words, I could just kind of be going over here and then I could wander over a little bit and be very innocent about that. The word that is used in the Greek here is a deflection. 
But I was coming here and there was actually an obstacle put in my way that deflected me and sent me in this direction. In other words, what Paul is saying, what God is trying to tell us is that there's not just going to be, you know, not only when we don't know truth do we tend to wander off. No, there's going to be people that will be intentionally putting things in our way to deflect us into untruth. Are we living in such a day? We are. And they were in first, Christian, in first century Christianity. All this has been happening from day one when Jesus makes the claim that he's the way, the truth, and life. From the very beginning, uh, even what we talked about last week about how Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. It was debated from day one. Well, I think he was a really good man, but I don't know that he was God. Or, you know, I think he was God, but I don't really, he just looked like a human. He really didn't have a human form. And the Bible, as we looked at last week, not to repeat that whole sermon, it is essential for us to believe and put faith in this mystery that God, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. With that, the whole rest of the New Testament actually makes really good sense. It's kind of this, it's pen that kind of holds everything else together there, this truth. Even though it's very hard to understand how you can be 100% of two things. Well, let's go on. This, so the first part is the teaching. Why do we need teaching? Why do we need sound doctrine? Because we need a, a foundation for every belief that we have in every direction that we take. Question. Asked this at the men's meeting last time. Do you believe that there's intention for every word that we have in the Bible? Do you think there's just like a, a lazy, errant word kind of thrown in? I, I really believe uh, that God is intended for every word here. Why would God put teaching, doctrine, as the first of these four? Do you think that's intentional? Or do you think he just goes, you know, I got these four things. I can list them in any order. Why would doctrine, the foundational teachings of the faith and the truth, why would that be number one in his list? And you can say it out loud. Everything else depends on it. Yeah, you're going to build all these other things in a personal way upon this broad foundation of what God has said. This is truth. With that in mind, let's look at the second one. He said it's good for teaching. It's also good for reproof. Your Bible may use the word rebuke. It's the same Greek word. It's just, you know, whether yours says rebuke or some other word. Um, Basically, God's word exposes wrong in our life. Have you ever been reading God's word and you're just kind of having your quiet time or maybe you're doing a little study and all of a sudden God does one of these... And it strikes you right in the heart. An attitude, a behavior that you have that you've kind of just allowed into your life. And all of a sudden the Word of God says, ah, you know, don't like that attitude. This isn't agreeable. This isn't kind of uh, congruent to, to what I want for your life. This is not how you become competent and equipped to carry out my call for your, to be a mom, to be a, a wife, a husband, or, a, or a, you know, a student in the high school. God's word exposes by bringing light into things that we would love to keep in the dark. Uh, This is actually, the the Greek word was actually a legal term. And it was one that was used in the court of law for prosecutors. It was actually the legal term when you you, um, uh, successfully were able to convict somebody of a crime. This is the word that was used. This reproof. 
It meant that not only did you expose it, but you were able to bring judgment to it. That is, that you were able to bring a correction to it. Uh, you know, said that uh, to find out that it really was wrong. Okay, so this reproof is there. Look what it says in Proverbs six twenty three. For the commandments, talking about the word of God, is a lamp and a teaching of light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Just kind of slow down, kind of read that. Read it through a couple times. The commandments, that is the word of God, is another word there being used for the word, is a lamp and a teaching. It's a light. And the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. What we see in that wise saying is that when we are reproved, it actually sends us in the direction of life. But here's what, here's what happens. How many of you, and you can raise your hands on this one, how many of you like to be reproved? That's what I thought. Because we have a, a prideful human nature, How many of you have had, that are married folks, have had an entire evening ruined in your house, in your words, ruined, because one spouse kind of brought reproof to the other one? Man, you want to see pride come out, guys? You want to see pride come out? Carly calls me on something in a gracious, loving way. I think about anybody else in the world. Why is this? Why can anybody else in the world? I'm going, man, you're right. One of my discipleship guys, yeah, you're right. My wife says it. Man, this defense, this vulnerability comes. I mean, I I say that as a true confession. Nights have been ruined in the Lincoln's house because of pride. Why? Because we don't like reproof. It's not something, oh, man, thank you so much. You just put light into my darkness. This is not where most of us live, guys. And so whether it's a spouse doing it, whether it's a boss doing it, whether it's a mom or dad doing it, whether it's a friend, even if they come on friendly terms, this is not natural in our natural light. Our human nature does not like reproof. And yet look what God's Word says. The reproof that the Bible brings when it puts light into the darkness of some area of our life actually leads you to life. And it's going to bring life. Look at Proverbs 15, 31, 32. The ear that, less, that listens to what? Life-giving reproof. See, that's where in your mind you have to come back and say, okay, I don't like reproof. Everything in my human nature... It's going to kind of put a stop to this. But I have to trust that when God's word is the one doing the reproving, or somebody who loves me enough brings reproof from a biblical, not their opinion, but from a biblical basis, that's where we have to say, okay, I have to trust that it truly is going to be life-giving. Because it doesn't feel like life-giving at first, does it? The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligent. I want to be intelligent. I want to be wise. I've never met somebody who says, you know, I'm just really satisfied being stupid. (laughs) 
Everybody wants to be wise. But part of wisdom here is that we would allow this instruction, the instruction of God's Word, this reproof, this prosecuting attorney that comes in and convicts us of a crime that is wrong. That's what, again, originally that's what the Word meant. I use, always use the example of forgive because I think it's something that everybody in this entire room can understand. We've been called to forgive as we've been forgiven. And yet one of the most challenging things that we will ever face in our Christian walk is to truly forgive. Not just to say, I'm sorry, but to truly forgive as Christ has forgiven, where we have erased the record of wrong because that's what he did for you and me. I get to go to heaven one day and I stand before holy God. He has erased the record of wrong in my life. Amen. Amen. And so he's called us to this place where we not just say, okay, we'll be friends or, okay, you know, I forgive you. No, where we erase the record of wrong. What a high calling. Let me just tell you, you're some nice people, but you're not that nice. This is going to take something supernatural. And this is where the Bible comes in when we get instructions like this and it gives reproof and it corrects us. Because one of the first things that comes into our mind when we're called to forgive somebody is, well, they haven't said that they're sorry. And and God, you know, I'm not the one that did wrong here. You know what God says in response to that? Through his word, through his word. Do you want your life back? Because that's what I'm promising you. you. You allow my word to correct your heart, to reprove what is wrong, and it's going to be life-giving. And when you forgive, you actually get your life back. As much as we would believe that, folks, it's hard to do. And that's why, like that knife, we need to be every day in the word of God so that it keeps on kind of, we get dulled. We get over one thing and all of a sudden three other, we come to, the, uh, to work the next day and instead of just that one person, they've got three people on their team. Have you ever been there? It's like, man, I just forgave that one person. Well, yeah, i got a crowd that i got to forgive. Life-giving reproof. That leads us to the third intention of God's Word and that is correction. The Bible doesn't just tell us what is wrong. It does that. It reproves us. It tells us what is wrong. But here, correction is pointing us in the right direction. A good teacher doesn't just mark the answers wrong, but they try to instruct you how to do it right. So that if you're doing calculus, I mean, how frustrating that would be is if you had a book, you try to, you take this test, you, you take the test, you get, and all you get back on the test is wrong, 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 wrong. You go to the professor and say, you know, I need help with this. And he says, I'll help you. All those were wrong. <laughs> and that's all that he says. See, God doesn't do that to you. God is such a gracious, he's so merciful here, guys. God not only says, okay, this is wrong, but he says, but Bobby, here's how to do it right. And when I'm not loving my wife well, he, he says, okay, here's how, to, here's how to do it what, right, Bobby? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. He points me back to a right direction, a correcting way in my life. Does that make sense? How gracious is that of God? I mean, because it's one of the things, if you just tell me I'm wrong, I could stay there in my pride. But if you're willing to take my hand and say, okay, that was wrong, but here's what's right, and I'll actually take your hand and I'll help you 
learn how to do right. That's what the Word of God. It doesn't leave us in darkness. It exposes our darkness by light, but then it actually says, okay, here's the path back to right living. The Greek word that Paul uses here in the, in the New Testament literally means a picture of something that is toppled over and you put it back upright. A lamp that you knocked over and so the lamp's fallen down. And you go over this microphone stand that it toppled over. And you say, man, that's not where it belongs. It belongs here. That's what the word correct means. This Greek word means to establish again in a right manner. To put back right that which was wrong. This is gracious of God for, for him to do this. And this is when we read the word of God. It is going to be cutting times. I mean, there's going to be times and it is just going to be in our face and it's going to be correcting. But there's always balance of truth and love in God's word. As Hebrews says, it, God does discipline us, but he disciplines us because he loves us. And so we have this instruction, here's where you're wrong, but he says, here's how to get correct thinking, living back into your life. Fourth one, training in righteousness. What does that mean? Well, if you're a parent, then this is your hope and your joy. Because as a parent, what this really makes illustration of is that your kids wouldn't make wrong decisions at all, and they would just make right decisions. How many of you, again, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have ever shared a story with your children? Well, this is what I did, and I just don't want you to make the same mistakes that I've done. We've all done that. And there, there's, yeah, I see some kids' heads going, yeah, Mom, you, you've done that. <laughs> well, there's an earnest, you know, we want that correction. We don't want you to... To, to go the wrong way and suffer the pain that maybe we had to suffer. So we're going, okay, we want you to be trained in right living, righteousness, doing it the right way from the very start. What parent doesn't want their kids to make the right decisions and not have to go through life with all the scars? Scars are not the end all because of the grace and the compassion of God. But, but I'm not really wanting my kids to go through broken hearts just so they can finally find the right heart. I would love for them to be trained in righteousness, right living from day one, the right way to go. This word often, the Greek word that's used here is often um, uh, translated discipline. In fact, it's only used six times in the New Testament. Four of those times is in Hebrews. And all four of those times, the word discipline is what the um, the people who are translating the Bible have, have decided to use it. So this training in righteousness is developing the muscle, this discipline, to do it right the first time. A scripture that really captures this well is Psalms 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Say it out loud. That I may not sin against you. In other words, I want God's word in my heart because that will help me actually take the right steps 
And I don't have to go down this path of wrongness, have that wrongness exposed. You love me enough that you correct me and put me right on the right track, but how wonderful it would have been if I would have been on the right track all along. And so this is the hope. And that's where the psalmist is saying, how can a young man keep his life pure, his mind pure, his heart pure? Man, God's word. Why? Because it becomes very active in there, and it keeps you, if you want to say the old phrase, straight and narrow to begin with. Four intentions of God's word. In a way, this training in righteousness, yes, it's a discipline, but, but it's kind of like I, I preached through the Ten Commandments one time. And, you know, whenever you preach through things that say, thou shalt and thou shalt not, that's kind of heavy, you know. I said, guys, these are guardrails. Because there's a cliff over there. And there's a cliff of hurt. You go down that embankment, I'm not saying you're going to die, but you're gonna, it's not going to feel good. And so God put these commandments here, and he says, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Not from some place in the sky where he just kind of says, okay, I want to show you what a big God I am and how mean I can be and restrictive I can be. No, it's guardrails on life so that we don't go over there and fall off this edge and crash and burn. Here's the thing. It's a wonderful way of life to be trained in righteousness, to make the right decision the first time. But none of us, not one of us, have aced that test. And that's why there's four components here. That's why there's the word of God, the light, to, to, to reprove us and then direct us back into a life of correction. Let me end by this illustration here. I, I did not do this. I give full credit to uh, another guy who did this. <laughs> who doesn't want to live on that top line? I do. I have teaching that shows me the right way to go, good sound doctrine, the right beliefs, the right way to live. And I want to be trained in that right way of going so that I could just stay right up there. But how many of y'all have ever been involved in the little circle there? How many of y'all went in the circle last week? Last night. And so we get there, we have this teaching that shows us the right path to walk on, but all of a sudden we, we, we don't go that because we don't want to forgive. Because they haven't apologized. They haven't admitted that they were the ones that really hurt us in the first place. And so we take up an anger and a resentment and a bitterness in our heart. And so we start going down here. And then all of a sudden, the preacher just happens to be preaching that morning on bitterness in the heart. And we look into God's Word and we get reproved by God's Word. That part of God's Word is like a prosecuting attorney says, Okay, you're convicted of this sin. And we acknowledge, yeah, I'm guilty. And by the grace of God, by the grace of God, he said, let me me show you a way out of this. You don't have to stay down here. You don't have to live here. And you certainly don't have to end up here. Let me show you the correct way of living. And let me show you that the next time you come upon this same situation, a way to be trained in righteousness, trained in right thinking, so that maybe next time you don't have to come down here and and do this little circle again, but that you can just, at least in this one area of your life, kind of sail on 
and, and live the right way. Do you see how these four elements work together? Are you holding an amazing treasure from a loving God? Yeah, but there's a lot of things in there, and it gets on my nerves. It's supposed to get on your nerves. Okay? Because if I'm down there, I need somebody that loves me enough to get on my nerves. Okay, guys? I need a mom or dad, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, a wife. I need somebody. If I'm down here in this tailspin, I need somebody that's going to bring not their opinion to me, but godly reproof. And sometimes God does that through your your daily quiet time. Other times he does it through uh, a pastor who's going to be preaching on that. Oh, great. It's like you were living in my house this last week. I've been told that a thousand times. I promise you that's not me. That's a loving God that says, look, I know you're dealing with this, and you're going to be spinning here, down here in this circle for a while, and I love you enough, I want you to come out of that circle, and I want to teach you how to live rightly. What are the four things? First one? Okay. And and that teaching, again, is sound doctrine. It's the foundation. Second one? Reproof. It hurts. We don't like it. It's kind of that prosecuting attorney going, he did it. And it only helps us when he said, I did do it. Third one? Correction. Fourth one? That's the how. What's the why? Anybody remember verse 17? I know it's not up there, so you can't cheat on this one. So that you will be confident and equipped for this high calling that God has on your life. That's the why. This is the how. The why is because God has equipped you to live successfully for him. This high calling as a Christian mom, as a godly husband, I mean, that's high stuff. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That is a high calling. And yet God says, okay, but here, I'm going to give you these four things in your life to equip you to do that. That even in your fallenness, living in a fallen world, married to a fallen wife, I'm going to equip you. Why? Because I'm a loving God, and this is my word. So here's my thing, guys, and we'll close. We don't do quiet times. We don't do times in God's word to, to be a task to just check off. We've all done that before. There's all been, that was just part of the morning routine, maybe. And it was dry toast. We got nothing out of it. And I'm saying, even on those dates that, that it is just dry toast, still go through the discipline of it. I mean, because very few of us wake up in the morning, man, I can't wait to hit the gym. I'm so excited about the gym. <coughs> But even when you're not excited about the gym, you go to the gym because you work out because you know that it's good for you. But here's the thing. When you spend time in God's Word on a daily basis, on a very regular basis, and you know these four things, these four purposes that God has for His Word in your life, all of a sudden it's like, okay, God, I can't wait. I mean, I would hope that you would say, I can't wait to see how well you're going to teach me. Sound doctrine. I'm not so excited about the reproof, but I know I need it, God. Because I know that you're a God that's eventually going to let it lead me to correctness. And you're going to show me the, the way to get out of this tailspin. And God, you're even going to be able to train me so that the next time I face 
the same situation that maybe I can do it the right way the first time. You're going to train me for righteousness. This is our hope when we go to the word of God. And it's not a task just to do because God goes down. You read three verses today. I'm so proud of you. It's to get our life back and the life that God wanted you to have. Because every day, guys, you have things that are trying to rob you from life. Lies and myths and fables and all these other things. You have an adversary that wants to rob life. And God says, hey, here's one of the life-giving things that I've put into your life so that you can get your life back. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you this morning, Father. And Father, we could not have come up with these four things and the beauty and the, the power of your word. Father, you teach us these four things. And Father, I pray that it would give us a thirst to spend time in your word every day. And Father, there's going to be those days that it's just a, a, a task to be done. And on those days, Father, have great grace and mercy upon us. But Father, on those other days when we're just of wrong mind and wrong heart, and, and in your word, you convict us through your Holy Spirit that we are guilty of this, and you show us a way out, Let us turn our heads to heaven and praise you. For you're a good God and you love us. And you blessed us with this truth so that we could get real life back. Father, we thank you. And I pray that these four things will be ever on our mind. And that, Father, that we would be able to understand maybe our quiet time this next week even a little bit better. Because you've exposed us to the truth of your word and the beauty of your word this morning. Father, all this we pray in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.